Have you guys heard about uh, McDonald's Japan's adult cream pie? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you serious, dude? <laughs> no, what is that? I'm dead serious. McDonald's Japan released a, you know, like an apple pie, but it's a cream pie. But they called it, you know, the adult cream pie. That's amazing. Are you serious? <laughs> Broadcasting live from inside the power band. This is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Wolverine, along with the intrepid prototrope, Jarhigo. The Jarhigo machine, 100%. Nice. And the always awesome algorithm. Howdy. Howdy. Folks, welcome to the podcast, The Cowboy. Igo. Scrimshaw. The PEM, Phototronic Electron <laughs> Microch. I can't even remember what it stands for. Whatever. This week we're going to be talking about the 1987 classic Inner Space, starring Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, Meg Ryan, and a whole host of other delightful actors. Let's jump in. Hey, when you guys get like a scratchy throat, do you ever wonder if Mr. Igo is in there? Whoa, see now that right there, yes, I do. I probably did when I was a kid. I still do sometimes. For sure. In that in that sweet little like single man submarine pod that he had. Yeah. That he's like in a submarine pod in another submarine pod, which I thought was really funny. He's in a scuba suit in a submarine pod. That's it. Scuba suit in a submarine pod. A scuba suit jetpack submarine pod? Yes, he did have a jetpack, which I thought was pretty tight. I loved how he was an expert at piloting the jetpack and the mini sub. He was like a master of it. It's like, what are you like practicing? <laughs> are you practicing on the side? <laughs> Maybe it wasn't actually a pod. Maybe it was a hand attachment. The whole, Maybe. <laughs> the whole thing was just one giant hand attachment. I don't know, dude. The, nothing is better than the dildo hand attachment. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was great, man. <laughs> and, I, and I love how they showed just enough of a glimpse of it so you knew damn well what it was without making a big fuss about it. Yeah, as if the buzzing sound wasn't enough. It was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my goodness! Wow, we're we're sort of just uh, diving into the oh, Doctor Canker, diving into the deep end here with Doctor Canker. What do we, <laughs> what do we want to? Um, where do you want to start, algorithm? Oh, I don't know. It's not. Where do you want to start, Jarhigo? This is a Jarhigo pick. Yeah, this is a Jarhigo pick. Jarhigo, where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I don't know. Let's let's uh, get some high level thoughts going. Give it to us. Well, I, I'm I'm driving, man. I'm not supposed to be the first one to go. Okay. Yeah, dude. Um, I did take some notes on this film, and like this, this movie is just such good fun. You know, it it was like revisiting an old buddy. I when I was a kid, I saw this movie. God, man, thirty, forty times. Oh, dude, a million times. Exactly. I know it so well, and um, it was so familiar, and and still so good. Like it really held up well, and just such good fun. Great acting, great story. They really did a great job of combining a really great science fiction concept with a very funny story as well. It had, it, it really had everything, man. Uh, the comedic chops were tight, not not just with Martin Short, but of course mainly from him. But like the story was great. It had tension, you know. You were on the edge of your seat many times. 
wondering what was going to happen, you know? Like, it's just really, really well done. And they jammed a lot of stuff into it, too. Like They really did. They really did. <laughs> it's impressive how much is going on in that film. No doubt. No doubt. So that, that would sort of be my opening salvo. Yeah, I think similarly, like, I echo everything Kev said, same motorcycle and such. And then kind of my first impression of this viewing was it's been a good 20 years, easy, since I've seen it. And as it was getting rolling, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to spoil my nostalgia for this by watching it because this doesn't seem all that good. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, this is great. So it really came good for me. And I was super stoked to watch it again. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen this movie. It, I feel like there's a time where it was just like super heavy rotation on HBO, and then you know, <laughs> totally. I dude. think we had, uh, I think we had like re- you know, did, like did a VHS recording of it as well. And I just, uh, I mean, I saw this movie so many fucking times. The whole, the- so many times, the quality of the VHS tape wore out. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely gone. Um, yeah, I think, uh, my, my little Igo story there, like that came literally because I was home from school cause I was sick. And I remember seeing the part where like Igo is like drilling away at the air tanks in, uh, Tuck's pod and like, you know, the, uh, the shavings are like making fucking Jack freak out. And I'm like, at the same time, I was like experiencing the same thing. I was like, I wonder if that's, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, I love this flick. And, uh, much like you, Chad, I, I was a little worried that it wasn't going to hold up, but I mean, it literally took no time and I was immediately just full delight mode. Yeah, it totally came good real quick. Definitely. There's just so much ridiculousness so early that I was like, oh man, please, please don't fall apart. But like, you know, even like the first, I, I don't want to go play by play yet, but the first thing is him, is Tuck digging into a bowl of goldfish and getting a scotch. I was like, hey, where did the goldfish on the bars go? I haven't seen that in, in so long and we need to bring the goldfish back, man. What the hell? Right. <laughs> it's just so much ridiculousness. It is. And it was it, a, lot, a lot of tropey things in there too. Just like his whole apartment and lifestyle, you know, like the, the sort of wild man, military guy, you know, it was like just crap all over his apartment and bottles of booze hidden in motorcycle engines that are just randomly sitting on dressers in his living room you know yeah you know giant fish in a sink you know things that you would normally have laying around your house yeah exactly right things 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 that were in every goddamn 80s movie Mm, mm -hmm. exactly that's what i mean like totally in every 80s movie nice so is that everybody's high level stuff damn this is going to be a quick one (laughs) <laughs> well, to add a tiny, tiny bit to it, I think like my memory is probably very vague, but I feel like Honey, I Shrunk to Kids was a bit more of an obsession for me at around the same time. I looked it up and it turns out it came out like a year later. So I don't know whether I watched this one a million times before, during or after, but um, I was in love with the idea of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids stuff. So this one definitely fit into that same niche for me back when I was a kid. Like the whole miniaturization thing seemed to be like a like a five-year-long fad for so many people our age. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Definitely, man. There was even, um, I remember uh, my <clears throat> my cousins had the uh, the Intellivision game system. Okay. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Super nerdy. Talk about throwbacks. But uh, there was this game, I think it was called Microsurgeon, where you were like a little pod going around in somebody's body. I don't, I mean, I couldn't tell you like what the hell the game was about. I just remember seeing it and being like, oh my God, I love that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Anytime I think of 
anytime I hear of or think of those old gaming systems, I, I it reminds me of like an advertisement on one of the ridiculous channels of Grand Theft Auto Vice City, which is like the new blah 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 gaming system where the red square fights the yellow square. <laughs> it's just like taking the piss out of how we were all obsessed with graphics, but it was just blips on a screen. It's so funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, dude, that was the Exorbio, man. How could you not remember that? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, which, the Exorbio which, was great. Which one was that? Was that Vice City? I think it was Vice City, yeah. The Degenitron gaming system plays three exciting games, including Defender of the Faith, where you save the green dots with your fantastic flying red square. Cool. Monkey's Paradise. And then it kept going. It was like, you know, fight the evil red squares with your green triangle ship, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 like all the games, all the games had red square, green triangle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that, exactly. Those are the only <laughs> two things. It, it would have to be Vice City, man, because Vice City did take place in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like that, though. I'm sure, you know, Microsurgeon was just like. Like a dark maroon background with a light maroon body cavity, and then just like a blip moving around. You know, <laughs> like that's what I imagine. It was actually pretty, like you know, it was pretty robust, pretty detailed. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of really badly like aliased like veins and guts and stuff going on. <laughs> like, I just remember totally. like you go up to the guy's head and like you know, like you could see at the inside of his mouth and the nose cavity and like the eyeball and all that stuff, like in the brain, and you know, so. Yeah, it was actually fairly detailed, but I mean, it was very, you know, I mean, mm. I think the Intellivision had slightly better graphical capabilities than than the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, but mm. not by slightly. much. <laughs> slightly, slightly. Yeah. The, the Coleco, the Coleco was the one that had the really good graphics. Like Donkey Kong looked exactly like the arcade. I remember that because I was like, oh my god. I think the there's a potential transition there to the. I was very surprised with how well the the effects held up on this one. Yes. I com- it's been so long that I was just like, yeah, I remember the point of the movie and I remember the plot in a very high level, but similar to like, even just like the original Blade Runner, all so much of the practical stuff just really held up. I mean, obviously it's very different than a Blade Runner, but super impressive stuff. Yeah. It, it won an Oscar for visual effects. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that it won an Oscar and, and I didn't realize, but it beat aliens for an Oscar for yeah. visual effects, which was like, whoa. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah, that is surprising. But it was um, Dennis Murin did the uh, the VFX, mm. and Dennis Murin worked on the original Star Wars. He worked on Terminator Two. He worked on a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, right. I miss the old practical days. Yeah, Jurassic Park. You know all that stuff. So yeah, Dennis Murin was you know a master. He was like one of the those like you know original guys at ILM that was helping George Lucas create his vision. I was really, really psyched to not talk about Star Wars today, and I just talked about Star Wars. Sorry. <laughs> is that a death? Is, it, is that uh, an early death? I'm going to say a death by Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> death by Star Wars. Force choked. Death by Snoo Snoo. <laughs> death by Yusa. Oh. Oh, no. On the effects, like, aside from the body effects, I, I was very stoked with, like, the pod and the lab set up. It had a very, like, kind of back to the future old school prop kind of feel, which I really enjoyed seeing too. Mm. There's just so much throwback nostalgia to this in terms of like they don't make them like they used to that I really enjoyed watching it again. I love the uh, contrast between the labs too, like the, the you know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What the hell was the organization that? Uh... Vectorscope. 
Vectorscope Lab was like, you know, kind of clunky and like, you know, query like first iteration, you know, prototype prototype version. But then like, you know, uh, uh, Scrimshaw's like slick future eighties, like, you know, it's just like a roll up thing. Definitely. You know, (laughs) it's just like a, 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 like a Venetian blind that rolls down into the floor and like, you know, (laughs) like climb in and a creatively installed garage door. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, um, the vector, the, the vector scope lab felt like it was like crammed into the back of storage B, you know what I mean? Yeah. On some side street, you know, (laughs) and they, you know, they both had plenty of gold and silver foil lining things, which is really important in the (laughs) eighties. Taking a bit of a Apollo lander kind of vibe. Exactly. But the other one, like you were saying, Benny was, it's like jumps out at me as like the Willy Wonka TV floating through the air thing. I'm not, I'm I'm not getting that reference. I'm not getting that either. (laughs) You know, the like, the Willy Wonka where they, the kid loves TV and they like teleport a chocolate bar and they're in a giant white room with all their white robes on and stuff. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like super clean white white room kind of thing. Oh, oh, you mean Scrimshaw's lab had that feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Scrimshaw's lab. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Chad is now dead. I'm dead, I think. Yeah. <laughs> For future reference, all Willy Wonka references will be completely lost on me. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I had to take one for the team then. Why Why is that, Charhigo? Do you want to share with the folks at home? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just not a not a fan. Never was. Okay. All right. Okay. It wasn't like a thing. You know, I feel like for a lot of families, that was a thing that like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It just never was. And then like I, I saw it way, you know, much like Bill Burr with Star Wars. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Exactly the same thing. <laughs> Back to Star Wars. I didn't, I didn't get it until later in life. And I was just like, this is fucking weird. I don't like it. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable. Nah, that's a shame. That's a classic, but I, I get it. You missed the miss the wave. You missed the wave. It's like the one role I, did, I didn't like. Uh, gene wilder and you know i mean <laughs> so wow well we gotta add that one to the list i want to hear you shit on it for for 30 minutes oh god don't make me do that <laughs> <laughs> the enthusiasm makes me want to put it on even more yeah yeah the fervor <laughs> um where were we uh, i was dying yo right you were dying with the willy wonka reference yeah and i brought up star wars again <laughs> so, yeah i think the first person I think the new rule should be the first person to bring up Star Wars in, in any episode dies. It doesn't need to be every Star Wars reference. It's just that, you know. <laughs> I like that. First person to do it gets gets the old chopping block. Yeah, the VFX definitely just they suspend your disbelief perfectly, you know. There's never a point in the film where, like, you're jarred out of the, the what's going on by, like, oh, that, that doesn't look real, you know. Yeah. It all, it's all, like, quite convincing. And it really definitely still holds up nowadays. Yes, absolutely. And not only is it does it continue the suspension of disbelief, but it, it also is like so the visual effects are so strong that you can have a main character in a pod not interacting with anyone else face to face for the entire movie and it doesn't seem out of place. Right. You know, like that was a that that's a tough role, you know, for what's his name? What's his name again? Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. That's a tough role for Dennis Quaid, man. He's got like five minutes of normal movie screen time, and then it's just him in a freaking little pod, you know? And you, you, it, I didn't find myself getting pulled out at all for that, and it, it seems super plausible considering, you know, the source material or whatever, but it's an impressive feat. 
Yeah, I always really liked that he the way he establishes communication with Martin Short or Jack Putter as the character is. But um, you know, just the whole like, you know, the camera like behind the eyes so he can see what's going on and then, you know, attaching that little thing to a bone in his ear so he can like pick up what's going on outside and communicate with him. Like I, I always loved that about this movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's so many layers to this movie, you know, because even though Martin Short plays the funny man, like there's a whole transformation of that character to being, you know, just really a total basket case into becoming like, you know, the man that he always wanted to be. You know what I mean? The the guy the guy that gets the girl, the cool guy, even though he doesn't get the girl at the end, but he, he gets his confidence, you know? And I, I really like that layer of this film. You know, you see a guy who lives in, I mean, just a classic, crappy, teeny 80s apartment. <laughs> like, I was one of my notes. I was like, my God, this apartment it sucks. <laughs> That's like a glorified hotel room. Yeah. Yeah, it was so small and so shitty, dude. And um, I just love that. And, you know, working at Safeway, the assistant manager, you know, and by the end of the film, he's like jumping in the convertible to go save Tuck again. Yeah. And his boss is the perfect boss and annoying coworker is perfect. <laughs> Mr. Wormwood. <laughs> uh, my, my opening note is when Jack flips out at the register. And so I was a huge Martin Short fan in the 80s. I was one of the people that my my cast that I grew up on on Saturday Night Live was the 84, 85, Chris Guest, Harry Shearer, Martin Short, Rich Hall, Jim Belushi, uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus was in there. It was it was obscure and they were only around for like one season, but I, I thought it was a his, I thought it was hysterical. I still think about those sketches from that particular season in Martin Short had you know, Ed Grimley and Jackie Rogers Jr. and all these great characters that he created. He was just so brilliant, man. And this movie really showcases his brilliance as a comedic actor, a dramatic actor, just an actor in general. He's just fantastic, man. And like, he had this like twitchy nervousness that he would add to a lot of his characters. It was fantastic, like Ed Grimley and this character. And when he flips out at the register and starts screaming for aspirin and then starts dumping it down his throat, it's just, <laughs> it's so funny, man. And it was funny watching it last night. Like, Jack, get a hold of yourself, Jack. I need some aspirin. What? Please, I'm begging you for some aspirin! Where? Where? Oh, hi! I'm not buying that aspirin now! $800 a bottle, who'd want to? Jack. Jack, you're becoming unglued. You're coming apart at the seams, Jack. Oh, my God, he's completely spaced out. All right, let me handle this. I used to laugh at it when I watched it in the 80s, and it was just as funny watching it last night, which I love. Yeah, and those kind of bits don't really happen as much anymore either, so there's definitely a, a sprinkling of nostalgia there too. Oh, no doubt, man, no doubt. And it's totally over the top, the performance, but it's the kind of thing that like only Martin Short could pull off. I kept thinking throughout the film that like I don't know if there's anybody else that could have pulled that role off. No. I, I don't think so, man. There was rumblings that Robin Williams was was in contention, but he would have overdone it, I think. Meh. Yeah, he would have overdone it. And he, he, I don't know, he was too cool. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, even even back then, like, I don't know, Martin Short has a nerdier quality inherently than Robin Williams does. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That made him way more perfect. And, you know, I, I just want to comment on what you, one of you just said is that, yes, it was over the top, but somehow, and this is what I, one of the things I love about Martin Short, is that the fact that the guy was a hypochondriac and all of that, it makes it somewhat believable that yeah. somebody would flip out like that and start trying to guzzle aspirin, you know? And then it gets even more believable as he, you know, finds out he has a small pod inside of his body. Like, that would be pretty freaky. And, you know, the whole, I really liked his screaming in the waiting room, I'm possessed scene with some of his uh, former cast members. <laughs> this is just perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I had the, uh, I can't remember that guy's name, um, the actor's name. The dude from Happy Gilmore? Dude, that's exactly what I wrote in my notes. I go, the red lobster guy from Happy Gilmore is in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw him, I was like, whoa. Because he kept, he kept saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, he kept saying, he was either saying, let's go to Red Lobster or let's go to Sizzler to uh, Shooter McGavin <laughs> in Happy Gilmore. So good, man. Uh, yeah, that guy was really funny. And, you know, just this, the whole, the dynamic of Tuck talking to him in the beginning and him talking back and then the people around him in his environment reacting to him was just perfectly done and very great showcase of comedic timing and, and all of that sort of thing, you know? And, and again, Martin Short, he's the man for that. And the grocery store scene, uh, Wendy and Mr. Wormwood, like, playing alongside him just that little trio like and all the shenanigans in the supermarket are fucking great like the way they the way that they played off off of uh martin short was just fucking great really really funny stuff. oh brilliantly yeah. dude you know henry gibson is the guy that played mr wormwood and he is he, he's been in a million 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 things if you go look him up on imdb or wiki he's his his credits are vast he was in everything and you literally would see him everywhere you know uh certainly in the 80s and the 90s but even you know going far back into the 70s even the 60s he he played the head illinois nazi in blues brothers which was a very memorable role of his but he was in episodes of the fall guy episodes of magnum episodes of night rider like you name it gremlins 2 he's been in everything everything man really good stuff and then wendy shawl who yeah wendy shawl and the character's name was wendy yeah wendy shawl was in a bunch of joe dante's movies like uh, small soldiers and something else i can't remember what she played the perfect 80s bitch like you know <laughs> yeah, that totally. like <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm hotter than you, and I'm not going to give you the time of day, but I'm going to kind of string you along, and I smoke a lot, and put my cigarettes out in coffee, and like, you know, she just, she just played a perfect 80s bitch. I loved her, man. She was great. And I loved at the end, when, when finally, when Martin Short's like... I love that she gets her comeuppance. <laughs> exactly. When Martin Short goes, Wendy, not a chance. <laughs> it's so great. I totally forgot that she came back in the uh, nightclub sequence and I really got a kick out of, you know, her dressed up like, you know, a Madonna 80s kind of dance club. Mm -hmm. I love how like the nerdy dude shows up at a dance club and all of a sudden he's like a sex god in her eyes. He's like, oh, you're double life. And it's just like he's just standing in front of a nightclub. It's not that big of a deal, you know. It's super <laughs> funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Exactly right. It was great. Right. She's like intrigued by his mysterious double life. <laughs> but it's the same. She, he's just wearing an ill-fitting jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the, and having a hot Meg Ryan with him, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. That's great. Circ circling back a little bit, maybe to touch on the 
Dennis Quaid, but the opening kind of bit with him being a drunk and then her taking him home. I, I thought it was so funny where like he makes a complete ass of himself, gets home and then just like puts on a song and it makes it all better and he can start kissing. Like she'd just be like, screw you, dude. <laughs> it was so funny, man. Yeah. 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 Right. That, that is total 80s right there. You know, like, come on, babe. Don't don't play our song. <laughs> I'm just gonna let's throw on Cupid, man. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like naked on a street in San Francisco with a taxi driver, or whatever. It's just great. Yeah. And uh, oh, the taxi driver. That guy has been in everything. I believe. I'm trying to think of what the hell is it? It's Dick Miller. I think is the guy's name. Is that- it is Dick Miller. <laughs> Apparently, Dick Miller has been in uh, every Joe Dante movie. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And so, so is Wendy Shaw. She's been in almost every movie he's done as well. But yeah, Dick Miller, he showed up not only in all of Joe, Joe Dante's movies, but like I just feel like that guy was everywhere, especially in the '80s. He played the gun shop owner. <laughs> I'm such a loser, dude. Like this plasma, plasma yeah. rifle with the 40 watt range. <laughs> exactly, dude. Just what you see, pal. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40 watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. The Uzi nine millimeter. You know, gun shop owner from Terminator. Great, great, great. He was he was just great. A great character actor. He was all over the place. All of these various smaller roles in this really reminded me of how how often you'd see so many of these people in so many movies. It it definitely harkens back to a different time. Oh yeah, man, totally. It really does. But all the like more minor roles in the film were, they're terrific. You know, everybody they got was really great. Like really memorable, even just for a small part, you know, like Dick Miller is a cab driver, you know, like totally memorable. He's in the film for what? Like a minute at tops. Yeah. Yeah. Same with uh, Henry Gibson as Mr. Wormwood do like that guy's great. Yeah, the the kidnapper even, um, the dude that comes in to deliver uh, Jack Putter's vacation tickets or whatever, his uh, cruise tickets. Yeah, where have I seen that guy? Wasn't he in Police Academy? Dude, I, he's super familiar. I cannot place him. Which guy? Which kidnapper guy? When Jack Putter goes back to his crappy little apartment. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The delivery guy. The, yeah, the delivery guy shows up. Exactly. I'm just Jimmy Googling for a second. <laughs> Why don't you guys go ahead and Google that for me? <laughs> enhance enhance i saw in the trivia section of imdb that chuck jones is one of the customers in the line at the supermarket so chuck jones like the the animator who created like roadrunner and serious all these yeah what? yeah really he's got a cameo in the movie because evidently there's like tons of warner brothers sound effects used throughout the movie and so i think it was like a throwback to the director's love for for Warner Brothers kind of Looney Tunes. It was just a cool little cool little nugget I stumbled mm, on. That's a cool nugget. Yeah, that is a cool nugget. Well, that's a tasty nugget. It makes me want to watch the film again just to listen for the different sound effects and stuff. Because it's almost like you would have watched so many Looney Tunes growing up that they would just become like deeply embedded in your psyche. So they would just feel like the right sound effect at the time in a movie, but you wouldn't realize that you're listening to Looney Tunes stuff. Yeah, uh, nothing stuck out at me. So yeah, same. I'm curious now. Yes, I knew that guy was in Police Academy. It's Archie Han. He was in Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach, which was... (laughs) absolutely <laughs> terrible with the exception of janet jones was in it who is just a super fox <laughs> didn't, didn't we uh <laughs> cul-de-sac 
turning around. Let's go. Didn't we at one point discuss doing the uh, the entirety of the police academy? Series? We we should seriously consider doing that. Maybe yeah. it got up to we like should. fifteen though. The didn't it? Curse of Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fifteen. Right, <laughs> Steve Gutenberg was like he got to six and he was like, "Ugh, what am I thinking here? Thinking about a paycheck is what you're thinking about." <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So where are we off to next? The enter Mr. Igo. That's what happens next. Igo enters. Oh, yeah. So we see Vernon Wells, which is great because he's Australian and he's an Australian actor. And Chad lives in Australia. <laughs> I don't really know why that's a big <laughs> deal. I try I try to pretend to be Australian. He tries to pretend to be Australian. But uh, Vernon Wells, you know, he played um, Bennett, of course, in Commando, a uh, EBD favorite. Put the knife in me. <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. He was also uh, Let the girl the, go. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy uh, marauder in um, the Road Warrior. Totally. And what else, man? God, he was in. I felt like he was. He was all over the place at this period of time too. I, I found it interesting that he had no lines in the movie other than when he screams when he dies inside of Jack Putter at the end. Like, he literally had no lines. Jack, you just digested the bad guy. <laughs> A little burp. <laughs> yeah, he just had an interchangeable dildo hand. I mean, if you could have one, you, you, you would. Snap on, man. <laughs> if you could have one, you would too. You would. you would. I love that. The license plate was snap on, totally. Yeah. I love how... He's some big kind of Terminator-y dude, and then all of a sudden he's got like a Dr. Claw Claw. This <laughs> is like, oh, okay, yep. And he shot a bullet out of his finger and scared the little boy with the balloon. It's just so like, <laughs> yes, I like this. Yeah, man. Despite the complete lack of lines, he really, really brought that character to life. Oh, definitely. I, that was apparently another one where they had started off with somebody else and ended up with him. And it's another one of those roles where I couldn't really imagine anybody else doing it. Yeah. No way. Who 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 Ben? Who was on the who were front runners for that role besides Vernon Wells? They had somebody else that they even they they shot a bunch of the movie with and it just wasn't working out. I don't remember what the name of the actor was. No. I, I saw rumblings that it was like he wasn't imposing enough. He was like the similar build to Martin Short, so it kind of didn't work visually or something like that. Right. Mm. Wow, that's an interesting tidbit right there. Yeah, Vernon Wells. Just great, great, great. Love it. I didn't recognize him, which is probably ridiculous of me to say, but... Well, you know what, Chad? I gotta I gotta be honest with you. I didn't recognize that it was Vernon Wells until I watched it yesterday. Right. So all the time that I watched it, all those times in the 80s, I never put it together that it was the same guy from Road Warrior and Commando. And that is a, an egregious thing for me, because... Mm. I, I always pick those things up like instantaneously. Yeah, you know, I had the same the same thing and I'm wondering if it's because maybe he didn't have any lines in it and like maybe did Commando come out afterwards? I definitely I definitely remembered him from Commando. I know we we talked about this chronology at one point when we did Raw Deal, but 85. Commando was 85, this was 87. I bet you it was the glasses. It's the sweet sunnies that made it hard to Hard to recognize him. No, it wasn't just that, Chad. It was the fact that he had his hair dyed black as well. He looks like such a Goomba. <laughs> he does. Absolutely looks like a Goomba. He was apparently channeling Arnold in the uh in the Terminator through that that whole role. That was like Which is so great. That was his template, which is, seems pretty obvious. Which is even better now that we've determined that Commando came out before this, so he would have worked right alongside Arnie. 
prior to filming this. Totally. But I mean, Igo was great. Like, I mean, of course, the snap on hands were awesome. The one with the bullet, the dildo, the dildo, all of that. <laughs> Got to talk about the dildo. Flamethrower. And a wine opener. They had a wine opener. Wine opener. Wine opener. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He had the wine opener. And, um, but he also just like the way, like he was really, um, he was really smooth in the way that he like, you know, went about his various different tasks, you know, like when he's in the restaurant and she whips out the taser, he moves Jack over to the side and then pulls him back over again and she shoots Jack. Then he just, you know, kind of very smoothly throws him over his shoulder, walks outside. There's a guy unloading meat off of a freezer truck and he just, you know, swings Jack's body around, hits the guy in the face with Jack's feet, knocks that guy out, closes the door, jumps in the cab. Like just, it was all so smooth, man, the way he did everything. It was, it was great. You know, putting so much into a character uh, who doesn't speak a single line in the film, you know, you, you were able to get so much about that particular character just from watching him do what he did. And I love that. Yeah, he's great. There's a good transition there to the freezer truck stunt guy sequence, if you wanted to go that way with it. Yeah, go, let's go there, and then we'll jump backwards. Go ahead. I noticed that, too. You mean the guy on the door? Yeah, I just really enjoyed yeah. the stunts. You know, like it was such an old-school stunt sequence. And that whoever it was that was hanging onto the side of that meat truck, man, was, was getting shit did. <laughs> oh, he definitely was getting shit did. And and then uh, what about the motorcycle guy that goes flying through underneath him? I was like, wow. Oh, yeah, dude goes down through the middle. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. That was a great little sequence. And it was just like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop style, giant truck bumbling down the road kind of trope from the 80s. Yeah, it's it's super old school tropey stunt work, you know, like <laughs> 80s 80s stunt work but it's so well done yeah i wouldn't say that the stunt work was tropied ben i would just say that the scene is tropey like the whole the sequence of like you know the car pulls up and it's like hey jump in wait i can't this guy's grabbing me i'm on the door like that's been done to death for sure of course you are correct yeah but that's what you were going for i think benny that's what i meant yes thank you thank you for telling me what i meant yes yes anytime (laughs) I'll happily interrupt you and tell you your intentions. All right. So let's jump backwards to Jack going to the doctor. We already mentioned the possession scene, which was great. And that whole bit of dialogue there with the red lobster guy from Happy Gilmore and that other woman was uh, just a, a great little comedic sequence. And then he goes into the doctor and the doctor is great. That guy's been in a ton of stuff. William Schallert, Dr. Greenbush. That guy was so funny, man. Like, if you really listen to what he's saying to Jack, it's it's really, really funny. Like, he tells him basically that the cornerstone of his practice is treating Jack's hypochondria, which yeah. I love, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, you put my kids through college. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then... And then, you know, Jack's going through this, like, you know, laundry list of things that it could be. I'm hearing voices, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and the talk is like, and Jack's like, yeah, demon possession. And the talk's like, hmm, well, demons typically speak through you, Jack, not to you. You know, like, <laughs> I love how he was so up on demon possession and all these other things that he needed to know. You know what I mean? Yeah, they had a good back and forth quite a few times. Yeah, I like the doc. And similarly, there's the uh, not come up into the end, but it's him being like, I'm cured, Doc. It's just I love how they tie everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, I'm cured. Wendy, not a chance. Mr. Wormwood, I quit. Jack Putter to the rescue. The next note I had was 
the noises they make when they're drinking the whiskey. I don't know why that jumped out at me, but like he takes a drink and he just, they're just making all these really goofy, funny noises, you know, both of them. It's like, ah, and glug and this and that. And <laughs> I don't know. It's well, the first drunk. time Jack's ever gotten drunk and he dances around like Tom Cruise. Like it's so ridiculous. Totally. I know. He dances right. around. Like, it was, there was like a lot of Ed, Ed Grimley, Ed Grimley in, that. in there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Total Ed Grimley in that. Yeah, I, I liked the, the mechanic of, like, you know, Tuck Pendleton asking Jack Putter to have a drink and then, like, having the flask out with a little robot robot arm, like, to collect it. Sticks out the side. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of gross, but all right, yeah, I suppose that's how you would do it, you know? <laughs> if you're a drunk. Well, I mean, it would be full of backwash and, you know, yeah, all of that. As a, as a parent to a young toddler, you get used to uh, eating regurgitated food and drinks with uh, floaties in it, so it's fine. Yeah, you need a drink, man. You need a drink. That's it. <laughs> wow, Chad. Hey, I'm going there. <laughs> your kid's like, oh, can I have a sip of your water? It's like, I would love for you to spit half of your sandwich into my water. Here you go, kid. <laughs> 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 oh, oh my god i guarantee you that'll be in the sizzle reel right there <laughs> hey gotta feed the beast next up i believe is enter the cowboy well actually before that i think it's important to point out that again you know this film is populated by like the smaller roles are filled with a lot of great actors like uh mark taylor who plays uh dr niles and that guy has been in everything, mm-hmm. right? And then Lydia's editor is none other than Orson Bean, who played Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit, the original 80s animated classic, which in my opinion is still one of the best versions of that story because that version had john houston as gandalf and his voice was amazing and it also had this was the bar for me for Gollum, so it's still the best is the Gollum in that animated movie is the best Gollum in my opinion period ever oh who are you precious my precious a tasty morsel it would make us is it my precious? If you'll allow the shortest of cul-de-sacs ever, I stumbled across a Reddit thread that linked to Sir Ian McKellen's diary from when they were filming Lord of the Rings. It's like his blog from the year 2000, which I was reading over the last couple of days, and it's fantastic. I would highly recommend it. I'll link it. Wow, yeah. But yeah, uh, the editor has such a small role, but he was in so much stuff. Totally. And I always thought he was a British actor, um, but he's not. He's an American actor. There you have it. Interesting interesting name, Orson Bean. Yeah. I wonder if he's like Sean Bean's dad. Anyway, the cowboy comes in next. Or I mean, perhaps Michael Bean? Michael Bean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bean? Nice. Nice. Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean, totally. Uh so yeah, we're at the the point where the cowboy enters the film. I found the cowboy so confusing on this rewatch because he came on as with so many of these people that come on screen for the first time like I know that guy from a million things and I just couldn't place him. Right. I couldn't place him. And I love how he's like a a fake Russian cowboy with like a little like afro and it's just <laughs> such a ridiculous costuming choice and it works so perfectly. Oh my god. 
Yeah, he's so ambiguously South American, Central American, and Middle Eastern at the same time. Like, that's the beauty of it, I think. With like a sprinkling of, you know, Russian, yeah. <laughs> With a sprinkling of Russian, there you go. But he's uh, Robert Picardo. I mean, his most, I would say his highest profile role is probably the doctor on Voyager, right, Ben, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think that's who I remember yes, him from. The holographic doctor. Yep, sorry, the holograph, the EMH program. The EMH program, yes. That's the thing. I looked through his IMDb, and that was the only role that I was like, oh, yeah, everything else is like, I have no idea what any of this stuff is. Yeah, I don't know what a lot of his other stuff is either. I, I certainly haven't seen it, but, the, of course, the Voyager, that was great. In fact, when I saw when I started watching Voyager when it came out and I saw that he was the EMH, I was like, oh, yeah, cowboys in the house, yo. <laughs> that was exactly what I thought. I was like, cowboy! Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought, too, man. Good stuff. Howdy, Big Jack. Don't knock. Just come in. So cheesy, man. You know, like, he he made that character so big and so cheesy and so stupid, man. But somehow it just worked so great in the movie. It really, really did. I mean, the ridiculous boots. He Did you notice that he had, like, pink and white, like, cowhide suitcases? And then one of them had a boom box, <laughs> yep, like, yep. built into it. <laughs> And like 50 pairs of boots. Yeah. And then he's like, exactly. He's trying on like, you know, 20 pairs of boots and throwing them all over the room like a teenage girl. Like, it was just, it's so stupid. His little battery powered polisher for his spurs and his. his oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great little like travel gadgets and goofy stuff. Yeah. They really put a lot of uh, thought into like the, just the details you know, of each character and scene. Like, it was really great like that, you know. Women love me. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, that's pr- a perfect segue because that scene where they're dancing in the nightclub, I really, really loved, and especially when it's like a cowboy dancing with Meg Ryan and Tuck Pendleton's like smashing chicken nuggets in the pod. It was just such a funny sequence. <laughs> but I also loved how like Meg Ryan was like, you know, oh, I like her, her, her sort of like, um, her Robin to her, her being Batman at the, at the, at the paper. You know, he comes in and he's like, I, I just heard the cowboys come into town. It's like, how would you hear that the cowboy is coming to town? Like, where are you getting this information? Like, some network of journalists or something? A secret intelligence cabal secret of cabal. journalists? <laughs> <laughs> like oh it's so great man just like such goofy fun but somehow it was like just push the plot forward it did but like i i loved that like no matter how goofy this movie got it was always totally forgivable and you're like oh yeah it's great you know oh for sure and and my god meg ryan's hair is just i want to say soaked but soaked implies it's wet her hair was like plastic with hairspray, <laughs> 80s hairspray. It was so terrible. Dude, you would have cut yourself if you touched that hair. Yeah, you absolutely would have hurt yourself. Very 80s. Kind of hot. Yeah, it was. I, lo- I love how she's like not in on the whole Tuck Pendleton inside Jack at all. It's a big secret. Don't tell her anything. And then all of a sudden his face changes and she's just like, what the hell, man? You know, like it, go- it goes from <laughs> zero to 60 so fast. Yeah, it really, it really does. And, you know, another thing that was great about that club scene was, you know, like Wendy is just like 
finishes a cigarette, takes out another one, lights the new one with the last bit of the old one. Like that just, you just don't see that anymore. And it was great, you know? And speaking of, speaking of, uh, you know, hairspray, solid hair, (laughs) I remember as a kid, I was worried that she was just going to like, just go up. (laughs) <laughs> one of the lightings of one of those cigarettes that she was yes. just going to like explode in flames. <laughs> oh, man. Totally, man. Yeah, absolutely. The movie was so 80s that Meg Ryan's got hairspray hair. And then later on, hairspray becomes a plot point for the sneeze towards the end. It's like, who the yeah. hell would pull a can of sp- <laughs> hairspray out of their purse these days? Yes. Yeah, I know. And then I love how the first the first lab technician pulled out moose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a gimmick. You never see that anymore. The moose. moose. What a stupid name for a what a stupid name for a product, man. Moose. But yeah, Wendy's hair also was uh in like I don't think we've ever seen this in any other decade, nor will we. It was totally crimped. Oh, yeah. You know, so it had that like kind of, you know, kind of like <laughs> jagged waviness, like whatever. <laughs> so terrible, man. You know, that's coming back now that you've said that. Yeah, exactly. So not only was it coated in a in a flame accelerant, it was also <laughs> dry, like like twigs. Totally. Like a, like <laughs> exactly. Right. And those are the kind of people that are like, why is my hair so dry when they go to the salon? <laughs> It's like, because you coat it in chemicals every day. God damn it. I tell you, my hero of this movie is one of the smallest roles. And the actor's name is Jason Lasky, or Laskay. He played one of the henchmen of Victor Scrimshaw. And he just, like, he had some great dopey comedic bits. And he was always really putting as much as he possibly could into this really infinitesimal role. And he really nailed it, man. Like, I love... (laughs) When she grabs her bag when they have her captured and he grabs it away and he's like, she's like, I was going to get some lipstick. And he was like, yeah, after I check for nail files, (laughs) she just gets torched. (laughs) I'm like, nail files. She didn't even have handcuffs on. Yeah. Like, what is she going to saw through with a nail file? (laughs) You know, like it was so great and so stupid. Yeah, right. The plot. Exactly. (laughs) Is he the one that passes out when he sees uh, Scrimshaw and and Canker miniaturized? Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, he's the same one. The Oompa Loompas. Another Willy Wonka reference for you, Benny. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I got you. I did get that one, though. Kev's about to bring in a Batman reference, so hold your breath. No, I'm not bringing in a Batman reference. I was just going to say he, like, you know... When, when they do the, the big meat for the chip, you know, with Martin Short as the cowboy, he's, like, you know, indicating for... <laughs> Like Ryan to sit in this chair over here. I was like, way to go, dude. <laughs> really putting, just giving it your all in this teeny little role. I love it. It was really great. And he was funny. He just had like a bunch of dopey moments like that. The nail file thing just knocked it out of the park for me, though. Yeah, and he gets zapped and then passes out. In the He like falls straight down and then his face just passes out on her bag. Like it's the most ridiculous fall over scene, too. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. What the hell are they eating in that scene where, uh, you know. Oh, you my know, God. The, right. The Martin. It's like they're eating like raw eggs and like tortilla chips or something. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> it's so 80s, though, man. It is. It is somehow. It was like sticks of like zucchini and raw egg. And then, you know, the whole thing when Jack spills it was just too funny. He was so, he was so like intent on cleaning up the mess. Yeah. 
that that was some some very tricky acting going on from uh, Robert Picardo there. He was like he was like the dude playing the dude pretending to be another dude, pretending to be him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so awesome. The meals, the egg yolk meals, really reminded me of like a Patrick Bateman restaurant, you know, like from American Psycho. You know, like they go right. into these restaurants and get served the weirdest shit and like the worst decor ever. Yes horribly 80s decor yes absolutely <laughs> i didn't i didn't get the whole like i love victor scrimshaw i mean what a what a great name for a villain scrimshaw with his sub-zero license plate what is up with the whole like i didn't get the whole white with the sub-zero thing like he, it wasn't like he had freeze powers you know or he wasn't always like freezing people to death. Like they rode in a meat truck, but it, it only happened that they rode in a meat truck because Igo happened to steal a meat truck. Like it wasn't. It's like missing backstory for the character or something. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of missing backstory there. He, although he does seem to have like pretty heavy duty tolerance for the cold because he's in the back of that meat truck with Jack and Jack is like. There's like he's turning blue and there's like frost on his face, you know, and, and, and Scrimshaw's uh, just hanging out, smoking a cigar, waxing poetic. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's so ridiculous, man. I love that corner office of his, too, where it's like the stupidest Zoolander style office and then it zooms out and it's just like an unfurnished warehouse. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, except for that one teeny corner. Yeah. Even went so far as to like, you know, have the pink light everywhere to give it all that pink accenting, you know, <laughs> so stupid, man. So stupid and so 80s. How how fantastic an addition was the like 50% shrinkage of those guys and then like the... Loved it. The little people car fight. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite action sequences, man. The car fight is so good. I was going to say they did a really good job with the force perspective and all that stuff. The miniatures, like it was really well done. Like, I mean, that's a really hard scene to pull off. Like 50% miniature humans fighting normal sized humans. Like how the hell would you do that? man? Yeah. So legit. And it was so funny too. like Meg Ryan just bitch slaps the short red haired girl. And and then, and then uh, the other dude gets a, Three Stooges eye poke. It's just like it's the most slow <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. ever, dude. Yeah. That oh was great. God. Dr. Kanker. Oh, so good. Dr. Kanker. <laughs> I know. What a horrible name. Like, that sounds like a venereal disease or a canker sore, you know? Like, terrible, terrible name. Dr. Margaret Kanker. So, I have a theory that I wanted to propose. Oh, boy. Let's go. So, I propose that this movie is actually an Ant Man prequel. And the baby inside Lydia is Hank Pym. Dude. And I I proposed this because uh, it was secretly directed by John Favreau to launch the MCU. And Joe, Joe Dante is actually a pen name. <laughs> wow. So it's like it's a, I think it's a, a Disney Marvel conspiracy theory. And it, this actually launched the MCU. Because this is such an Ant-Man movie. Sure. I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> Hang on one second. Hanging on. Uh, holding. Holding. No, I was just looking up what Favreau was doing in 87, but he didn't hit the scene until 92 in Rudy. That was his first film. <laughs> I think this is the first time in the show history that I've been murdered by Kev. Like, I was really hoping that would land better than, like, a five-minute silence. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Hey, man, you uh, had to get your come up in some time. You've murdered me often. I guess. So what is that? What is that? Death by Rudy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Death by Favreau. Death by Rudy. That that does seem like the Ant Man movies are definitely spiritual successors to this film, don't you think? Oh, for sure. The the, the you know definitely there's there's a similar spirit going on there. Oh, most definitely. Very very cool too. I like that. I like that theory. All right. Sorry, I just took too long looking up what Favreau is doing. No, no, no. I've got another one. I've got another one that, that you can kill me. Oh, shit. Well, let me... Can I just say that I like your theory about the Ant-Man thing? I think that's solid, dude. Yeah. Go. What's the next one? The next one is it's actually also a movie in the ACU, which is the Arnold Cinematic Universe, because the dream lady that pulls Ooh. out the lighter gun was actually Arnold in a Total Recall-style costume. And he was in the movie because he had to kill Benny. <laughs> he had to kill Bennett. Yeah. So he's been sent back in time to kill Bennett. Wow. Dude, that sounds like something I would come up with. Yes, I like it a lot. <laughs> that lady that pulled out that little gun was in a ton of stuff in the 80s, too. Oh, she was in a million things. Yeah. Um, yeah, she played Enid Borden in uh, Dragnet. They, they never discuss uh, Jack Putter's clairvoyance. Right. In the movie. Like clearly, like he dreamed that whole, like he that whole thing. <laughs> he had like a premonition of the entire scene before it happened, and then it came true. But then, like it never happens again in the movie. Yeah, word for word. Maybe he's Miss Cleo. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. Y'all remember Miss Cleo? <laughs> oh, I remember Miss Cleo, man, totally. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe you just name dropped her. Wow, I can't believe I just name dropped her either. Just like popped into my head. I know. What is going on, dude? Wow. <laughs> was was Miss Cleo like a dial psychic? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was a dial psychic. Like she had a she had her, her moment in like the what was that, like the early two thousands chat or the nineties? She had she had her moment at two AM on MTV <laughs> on October seventh, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Miss Cleo, yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Oh God! You know, you know. Hey, Benny, did you notice the car that Pete Blanchard was driving at the end when they're like, "We got to get the vector scope," and they're like, they jump in the car. He's like, "Lydia, come on!" And they jump in the car and they go to vector scope to to re enlarge Tuck. Did you notice the car? Was it was it a K car? It was a white with a tan like Landau roof K car. <laughs> totally, dude. <laughs> oh, it was awful. I was like, yeah, baby, yeah, yeah. There's there's some. Uh, Outside of the Mustang, there's some serious 80s-tastic vehicles in this film. 80s-tastic. That Beamer that Igo drove was awesome. That was a 6-series coupe, I believe. I remember that thing. I remember that thing from the 80s. I always thought that thing was really cool. That was a, that was a great classic Beamer, man. Boxy. It's got like the pig nose grill. <laughs> Super cool. You know what? I had a note about robotic arms. Yeah, totally. Like, I did you guys pick that up? Like, every I mean, I don't see how you couldn't really. It was so front and center. Like, there's so many robotic arms that are needed to do the most ridiculously unnecessary tasks, like not just the PEM chips, but also the um, like the door, you know, the on the the sliding uh, 
tonneau covered door for the miniaturizer in scrimshaw's <laughs> lab you like that ben um you know it's like there ha- there has to be a robotic arm to lower that and then there's a robotic arm to put the pem chip in in scrimshaw's lab and a robotic arm to put the pem chip in in vectorscope like it's just the robotic arms were just everywhere it was so stupid it was so dumb and yet at the end they make fun of themselves which was great right yeah <laughs> When he just grabs the chip out of the robot's hand and he puts it in, he gets shot. Just, God, what did you tell me? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I know. I like that. That was good. I loved how the actor who played the robotic arm operator, like he just, he played that so perfectly. Like all the scenes where he was in with the robotic arm and everybody was like getting exasperated about it. He always had like the funniest look on his face. <laughs> sort of like deadpan kind of. <laughs> Totally. I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah, definitely. Is it the only person that actually had any patience for the robotic arms? <laughs> right. Well, he loved the robotic yeah. <laughs> arm. Like that was like his baby. He probably built it in his basement. He probably did. Evidently, all the lab people were actual lab people, so it would make sense. I think. I think just around that time in the eighties, that uh, was the height and popularity of the robotic arm in general. Oh, for sure. Like, like I remember in like the Sears Wish Book, there was like a robot, like a remote controlled robotic arm toy that you could get. That I was, you know, like I so wanted that fucking thing. Coveting. <laughs> what do you? And you get it, and you're like, what? Well, I don't even know what I'm gonna do with it. Nothing. You just like, I don't know. Yeah, you pick stuff up with it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> put them down, pick them up, put them down. That's like when you ask for the remote control car or the crappy remote control car for Christmas and you get it and the batteries last like three minutes and you're just like, oh, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, uh, even worse, I think, because like you said, oh, you can at least drive like a remote controlled car around the robotic arm. Like, you know, it's one of those things that seems cool. And then you're like, oh, yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> uh, I picked up a pen, mom. Like, yeah, great job, Timmy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do I do now? Put it down. Okay. Okay. Done. When they, when they, the whole sequence, when they, you know, they are putting the, you know, uh, re-enlarging tuck <laughs> and it says, eat me, drink me on the computer, which was so stupid. <laughs> I don't know why they bothered. Like, I know. Right. But then I, I love how Jack goes, oh, they, it's from the exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> like what dude the exorcist right yeah i mean that whole uh, it was silly but there was something about that whole scene that whole exchange that happens before they re-enlarge talk that was just frenetic and, and goofy and funny similar to your uh comment about sticking a flask out the side of the pod and how ridiculous that is I thought it was quite funny how Jack ends up smooching Meg Ryan and Tuck ends up in Meg Ryan and then goes and finds the the baby. Like, I just think, like, for all the high-quality special effects and amazing interiors, like, he goes from the ear canal to the mouth. It's, like, so quick. It was like Game of Thrones jumping around the continent, you know, super quick traveling and stuff. It was so funny. Fast, fast speed traveling, yeah. I never got that. I was like, so when people kiss, the 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 person in the pod automatically just goes over to the next person. Like that's just yeah, exactly. It's like it can't be helped. Like the exchange of fluids is just too powerful. Yeah, it just seemed odd to me. It did, and and it also seemed odd to me too. That there just seemed to be like an ocean of saliva. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, it was a very wet f- French kiss, freedom kiss. Sorry, freedom kiss. It was a gusher. And then, and then she's just like, oh, oh, uh, kiss me back. And he'll go back inside you. He's like, oh, okay. 
But similar to what you said before, it's all like really dumb, but immediately forgivable. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, we're this far along with the damn thing. Who cares? Right, exactly. I mean, the guy got the guy got miniaturized. Yeah, yeah. It's like by the third act, and you're just like, all right, come on, let's wrap this up. What? They okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Are we far enough along that we can talk about the end? Or we're pretty much at the end, my friend. We're we're at the wedding, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I guess what I should have said is I didn't know if you guys had anything else uh, prior to the end that you wanted to talk about because the end just is. Uh, there's a lot going on at the end. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so we have the literally perfect, picture perfect, weather perfect wedding of Tuck and Lydia. Uh, Jack becomes the confident man that he always wanted to be and finally tells Wendy to go take a hike, which I thought was the best part. And um, then we see the cowboy again. We get a huge setup for a sequel. And then Jack is like, that was the cowboy. Jack putter to the rescue. He jumps in the Camaro. I'm sorry, uh, the Mustang. And then the, the closing credits, he's just, he's driving on like, you know, Latigo Canyon Road in Malibu. Like I, I used to ride on those roads on, on, on a motorcycle when I was out in California. Yeah. It like zooms out and there's no limo anymore and it's just him cruising. Right. Well, that was it. It's like, wait, he's chasing him to where and where are they? Like they're going to a honeymoon on the mountain, number one, number two, like where's the limo? And then it just, it was just such a kind of a, I don't know. I, I always love when Ben says nothing burger. <laughs> it's like kind of a nothing burger of an ending. It's like it just leaves me with uh, blue balls kind of like, what, what's going on? We got a possible sequel here. And then they just kind of ruin the ending with this dumb driving sequence, you know? Yeah. 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 I was... Uh, I was uh, I was waiting for a sequel for that for quite some time, and then I forgot about it. And now I'm kind of glad they didn't. Yeah, same here. Exactly the same sequence of thought. Maybe after the humongous success of our um, extreme sports scooter movie, we can go on to make a sequel. <laughs> I am all about that. Why not? Extreme sports scooter movie, Gleaming the Turd. Gleaming the Turd, the Christmas extreme sports scooter movie if you'll recall. Oh, right, of course. And if, you know, this may be my third death, but if you want to take care of those blue balls, Kev, you do have a vibrator attachment that you could sort that out with. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not a death, dude. (laughs) How how would I do that? I don't understand. Oh, well, when a a man loves a woman... (laughs) Well, they love each other very much, you know. (laughs) You see, Billy, when a man loves a woman... You ever been inside a Turkish prison, Billy? Oh God, <laughs> Jesus! Nice, perfect, perfect throwback. <laughs> you ever hang around the men's locker room, Joey? We're never going to get a better segue to rating this thing. <laughs> what than that, right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Let's rate it, man. I, I, uh, what do we do for movies again? We do letters. You always get it backwards, man. No numbers. I always do get it backwards. And Ben uses the improbability drive on films. Correct. Yeah. You usually just say whatever. Whatever Ben rates it, it tends to be what you rate it. So we can just let Ben go first then. Because <laughs> I always copy Jarhigo, right? <laughs> uh, well, since this was Jarhigo's pick, let's do... Um, ben, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, straight up, this one for me is uh, an 8 out of 10 golden 
vibrating dildo Igo arm attachments. Perfect. You knew I was going to do that. I mean, I was kind of bummed out when when you mentioned the, the dildo in like the first five minutes of talking, but... Uh, Sorry, man. It's all right. It's all right. It had to be. It had to be. Yeah, I love this movie. It is It is a joy. Wait, uh, can I ask you a question? What... Why only an eight? Like, what What about the film removed the the other two points that would bring it up to a 10? Because this is a pretty stellar movie. Like, even today, I think we all agree that, like, this movie holds up beautifully. The effects hold up beautifully. Like, so many great things to like here. I don't know. I'm probably wrong, you know? I'd have to look at uh, my other ratings and, and see. But mm. I'm wrong because uh, – the algorithm, Chad's algorithm, always makes me feel like I'm overrating movies. So I, I always the the reason I'm notched back two stars, not giving it a ten or a nine, which seems completely reasonable to me, um, is because I, I feel I, I deducted those stars specifically because I was afraid I was going to, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Too much disparity there. Yeah, right. Sure. You know what I mean. Boop. Everybody knows. Yeah, that. I do. <laughs> No, I do. I know what you mean, bro. <laughs> Everybody, you know what I mean. You, you know what I mean. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. Well, I think I think what I take from what you're saying is that like I tend to be too harsh and maybe you worry about being too generous in general to these movies. Yeah. I that's don't it. think you're too generous, sure. but I definitely come down a bit too harsh. Yeah, it's uh well, it's also like I don't want to disservice some other movie. Yeah. Anyways, somewhere around a 8 or a 9. That's good. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Algorithm yeah, so my uh, my rating is definitely quite a bit lower, but it's because of the algorithmic uh, <laughs> million movie list. Um, I'm I'm finding a lot of these types of movies hard to rate just because I don't know. Part of me wants to not have nostalgia cloud the judgment, but it's also difficult to like measure a a romping comedy versus like a modern think piece movie. You know, like it's a very difficult thing to to compare and contrast. But um, some of the movies in the neighborhood, like, as I've mentioned before, like a five is a good movie and a six is a really good and a four is a borderline. So um, I definitely think it's a good movie. But when I put it into the algorithm in the good movie neighborhood, similar to um, Rise of Skywalker or Nothing But Trouble, it was around movies like uh, Sunshine or Dune, for example, which you were super surprised about, Kev, because you consider both of those to be really good movies. But, mm, mm -hmm. you know, like, for example, Sunshine, I really like as a movie, but the ending, the third act kind of falls apart for me. Like, I don't really like the direction that it goes. So that's kind of what makes it a borderline movie for me, even though it's quite good. Hmm. And similarly, yeah, you know, Dune, similarly, like, if the director washes his hands of it, it's a, by definition a fucking borderline movie, you know? So okay, fair enough. it's kind of hard to kind of put a movie like Interspace above something like a, a dune or you know mad max beyond thunderdome or something like it's in the neighborhood but i mean I, yeah i get it i i know and i understand that your algorithm has its own parameters but i don't think that that's a problem yeah like, i think a movie like i think a movie like this can easily exist above a film like that if the you know the sum of all the parts are greater yeah you know and that's the beauty of this film yeah, I mean, hearing you guys talking about it, I think I was a tiny bit harsh to it, but at the same time, like, I think it's a solid movie, tons of great nostalgia. Um, I think because of the silliness, I kind of chose to go slightly borderline with it, but it's a highly recommendable film. I'd be very curious to see what somebody, like, nowadays 
you know, maybe if your kids were a little older, for example, like what your kids would think of it or something like whether they just be like, that's dumb or whether they'd be like, that was fun, you know? Yeah, no, I would, I would be curious to, to hear somebody's reaction as well. What, um, so what is your score? So 4.6 is mine. So it's, it's wow. very close to the good movie, very high on the borderline, but it's a good movie. Wow. Okay. As I said in my notes, this is such good fun. And I've already extolled the virtues of this film. Martin Short, Meg Ryan, all of these smaller actors and all of these smaller roles that just really brought this movie to life. The story, everything about it is so great. This movie gets a nine. Absolutely. It holds up well as a science fiction film. It holds up well as a comedy. It holds up well as an action film. Um, I could even argue that this movie almost looks like it could have been made seven years ago. And that's how well it holds up. And that's sort of the legacy of Spielberg, too. I mean, he didn't direct the film, but it is a Spielberg film. You know, he produced it. Yeah, Amblin. Yeah, and Joe Dante worked with Spielberg on a lot of his stuff. Gremlins and, you know, amazing stories and all that thing. So yeah, this movie gets a nine. I think it's fantastic. I, I was worried that it wouldn't hold up and it held up beautifully. And it was an absolute joy to watch. I get what you're saying about the nostalgia factor, but you know, it was, and, and yeah, that's in there for sure, but not so much. I really think that this is good. Really, really good. Mm, yeah, that's fair. A lot of, a lot of great things going on. Do you think it's better than Escape from New York? Mm, um, yeah, I do. And the reason why is because like again, when you when you add up the sum of all the parts of this film, you know, you get a lot, you know, as as opposed to to Escape from New York, which is probably a little bit lower, you know. Mm. A little bit, not not a ton, but this is this is well done in a lot of areas, man. I mean, it won an Academy Award for VFX, you know. Yeah. The acting is stellar. The, the writing was great. It's, it's, it's an interesting comparison because, you know, Escape from New York is kind of sparse. Like, Very. It's two hours and there's not a whole hell of a lot that transpires. And this movie manages to cram a ton of shit into it without losing the plot. You know, like it manages to hold together really nicely. It's a very different t- styles of movie, you know, beyond the fact that one's, you know, sort of a, I don't know, an act, just a straight action movie and another one, the other one mm-hmm. is like a comedy, action, sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point. Despite that, just the style of movie is very uh, different. Similar similar question. How do you think, I, I'm just for the sake of curiosity, how do you think it holds up against like a Lethal Weapon or a Beverly Hills Cop? Um, I would put it on the same level as those two films. Like those are really good 80s films. Beverly Hills Cop obviously is a is a comedy film with action, very similar the same exact type of movie as this minus the science fiction. Mm. Lethal Weapon is definitely more of a serious film, but in terms of like, you know, the sum of their parts equaling something great, there's absolutely with both of them. I think all three of those movies are on the same level. Mm. Benny, similar thoughts? Um, the, those, yeah, those are all on this on a similar level for me as well. I think, um, you know, thinking back to like when I was a kid, this movie resonated with me more. Interspace, that is, resonated with me more. Yeah, that's fair. Because of the sci-fi aspect, you know. I was a little sci-fi nerd, and I loved sci-fi, and I was like, oh, this is like those movies, only it's got this other cool thing that I love too, you know. Yeah, yeah well, by that rationale, I'm just picking a couple of things further up on the algorithm just to kind of see. 
Like I, th- I think I'm, I'll stick with my rating, but I think I was a bit harsh, but because I, I feel like both of your ratings are perfectly legit, and I 100% you kind of resonate with the uh, enthusiasm. I just find it interesting to kind of think about it on my own, be like, what do I think about this movie, and then compare it and come up with a number, and then <clears throat> it's interesting to hear what you guys have to say because it's like, yeah, maybe I didn't think this through, or maybe I wasn't thinking about this in the right way. Mm. Yeah, right on. I mean, you know, this this movie has it holds an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that. You know, it's like the end all be all, but you know, decent indicator though. Well, it's a really good metric of like, you know, even if you're not interested in critical reviews, critical ratings, like there's also fan ratings on Rotten Tomatoes as well. And that's pretty good. It's usually a pretty good indicator of like where a film stands and how well it holds up. So the fact that it still has an 82% is, you know, that says something. Well, just just to kind of add some context, you know, if I gave this a 4.6, which is just below, you know, the good movie thing, like Beverly Hills Cops a 5.7. So it wouldn't move much if it was going to move because the algorithm is so broad. But I definitely appreciate the the, uh, the enthusiasm you guys brought to your ratings. I, I definitely think I might have overdone it a bit. Overcooked her. Yeah. That's that's a tough thing you've it's a tough undertaking you've given yourself there, Chad, with that algorithm. It's definitely man. You know, when you're talking about comparing every movie to every movie, that's that's a that's that's no no easy task. And mm. it's gotta make rating. It's gotta make rating really hard and it definitely it's changed I mean no, I'm not I don't really have a problem with two movies having the same rating, you know? Yeah. And I and I can still tell you, you know, which one I prefer, but it's still like I can still say like, oh, well, I think they're they're both like of the same quality or they both have like, you know, this, these things that are good at, that are good about them that add up to this number for me, you know, and they could be two completely different kinds of movies. So mm. Mm. what you're doing is something different and it's it's uh, I, I admire you for it for sure. And it definitely makes me feel like I should be a little more conservative about my ratings instead of just you know yeah. gushing out, you know. <laughs> Giving everything a 9.5, you know? <laughs> I, I like that we don't all have algorithms, though. I like the improbability stuff. Same here. I It's like, it's more heartfelt, I think, and less analytical, and I, I, I definitely dig it. Yeah. I would also say that my ratings have a potential to change, you know? Yeah. Like, I might be enamored, enamored with something in the moment and then look at it later and go, eh. <laughs> so, it's also more fickle. But I'm finding the same thing with the algorithm where I'll rewatch and it'll be like, I'll look on the algorithm and I'll see that it's already there and, and I'll watch it re- again and just be like, I'm totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like the whole thing is just kind of like, it's like a snapshot in time and it's like constantly changing and it's way too much of an undertaking to like stay, to stay up to date with it. But just generally speaking, I find it moves around a fair bit. Anyways. Anyway. I mean, I, the rating is like an afterthought for me anyways. I, I'm, I'm here to just like talk to you guys about yeah. a fun movie. You know, like it's about the discussion and where that goes. And the rating is kind of like, yeah, well, we may as well do it while we're here. You know? Yeah, exactly. Cool. So um, algorithm, where are we flying to next week? There's nothing official for next week. Ooh. But because this movie is actually directly connected to Commando because Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this movie as the lady in the supermarket. I was thinking maybe Commando. How would you guys feel about that? I'm, I'll agree to that if it doesn't use up my pick. It does not use up your pick. Perfect. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cool. It's, it's, our, it's our little half-month Vernon Wells extravaganza. So there you have it, folks. Uh, Commando for next week. Tune in for that. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of In This Episode, Everybody Dies. 
I'm Moldy saying bye. <laughs> Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Do you guys want to say goodbye to everybody? That was my goodbye. <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha. Okay. Oh, okay. I was waiting for something else to happen. Yeah. See you, everyone. No. <laughs> Nothing else is happening. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. Next week, we're going to be talking about the 80s titular classic Commando, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app O choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 39. <laughs> 39? Yes. You can shoot us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. That's M-O-H-L-V-E-R-I-N-E. Chad is at Chad Normal on Twitter. And Ben is at Jarhego on Twitter. J-A-R-H-E-E-G-O. I'd like to take a minute and thank all of you folks for tuning into the show. It means so much to me and the boys. And if you'd like to support the show, there are a couple of great ways you can do that. You can rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also tell somebody to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly important, incredibly powerful, and incredibly effective. So please spread the word. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.